0: Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we re-examine Hollywood's red-headed stepchildren. As a red-headed stepchild my own self, I'm Stephanie Johnson.
1: And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling open Hollywood's Crypt to Review, But I'm a Cheerleader.
0: Breathe into my hands, i cut them like a glass to drink from. Yay! I love this movie so much. This was
1: delightful.
0: I'm so glad. I think if you hadn't liked it, I would have just had to break things up with you right now.
1: <laughs> not the first time, and I'm sure not the last that threat has been levied on this show.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just, it's so pure.
1: You know, it really is. You know, we'll, we'll get into the, if you skipped it in a moment, but just right off the bat, some a, a fact about this movie is when it came out, it was very much compared to the works of John Waters, who we just last episode no way. You know, experienced ourselves. And I, I think that was a case of like at the turn of the millennium an LGBT movie was enough of a shock to the system that people pointed to the, you know, super flamboyantly out and proud offensive director and were like, oh, this movie's a lot like that. And it's
0: not. (laughs) It's not, which is so, I was just going to say, it's so funny because in 2019, it's really tame.
1: Right. So before we get into it, for those of you who skipped the movie... But I'm a Cheerleader is the story of Megan, a high school senior who is sent to a gay conversion camp by her friends and family who are convinced she's a lesbian. It turns out Megan is a lesbian, but she does not (laughs) realize that until she is actually at the camp. And the rest of the movie shows the experiences of megan and the rest of the kids at the camp as they try to learn to be straight and hilariously in most cases fail to do just that and actually like embrace their sexual identities in a really nice way yeah i agree so, where to start? I want to start at, at the at the very beginning in, in the intro sequence, because from the the moment the movie started, I was reminded of something that I was very familiar with as a kid. Stephanie, are you aware of The Man Show? No. So the The Man Show was a Comedy Central sketch show with uh Jimmy Kimmel and I want to say Adam Carolla. And it was it was a, a very man show. It was it was a bunch of sketches and every episode ended with girls on trampolines, which was just like girls jumping up and down on trampolines over the credits. Oh gosh.
0: Sure. Okay.
1: <laughs> but I'm a cheerleader starts with a montage of cheerleaders cheering. In, mm-hmm. in, in in tube tops with no bras and cheerleader skirts. And those <laughs> are their uniforms. And uh-huh. I was just immediately thrown back into uh, Girls on Trampolines.
0: Sure. For our outside listeners, the Man Show, who aren't familiar, Google describes it as a half-hour comedy show focusing on the things men enjoy – Beer, women, and, well, come on, how much more do you really need?
1: (laughs) Aptly put, Google. Yeah, it's funny to look at at late-night talk show host Jimmy Kimmel and remember that he got his beginnings doing just raunchy, sexist by today's standards, most assuredly, sketch comedy.
0: And I would like to state for our listeners at home, that's where the comparison stops. This movie is in no way raunchy. This movie is in no way, I wouldn't even say it's dirty, Andy. There is a very pure, I I hesitate to even call it a sex scene because it was shot very much in shadow and with intermittent cuts such that you don't really know what's happening exactly. And apparently on IMDb, I did some research and it says that there was a much more graphic version of the sex scene that eventually happens in the movie. Um, And that it was highly edited because they were told this won't fly. Let's cut it down.
1: Sure. And, and I agree. Like, like I I bring up the comparison to the man show just so that we can talk about what a left turn it is from that initial reaction. And I, I mean, I think you're right. This movie in a lot of ways is incredibly sweet and incredibly pure. And I was thinking about it and, You know, the difference between what the director Jamie Babbitt did and what John Waters probably would have done is there would have not only been one explicit sex scene, there would have been a couple like it would have been the same movie, but with a lot more ejaculation.
0: Right, right. (laughs) Um, given that John Waters has a scene of a hamster crawling up someone's butt. You know, so it goes. I think
1: th- I, I can see where the comparisons come from. There are a lot of things about this movie and especially the, um, the conversion camp, which is called true directions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, true directions. Good job, true directions is this very bright, <laughs> bizarrely colored like barbie doll house it's yes uh, well just it's 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 very distinctive looking it's very unique looking one of the things that i noticed that like felt very waters to me was like the the flowers in the yard are all fake and it's just mm-hmm. like, like visually, visually I can see where you look at this and you compare it to some of Water's stuff. And I think that's kind of where the comparisons begin and end.
0: Right. And I think also you can compare it to anyone else who's obsessed with color in a similar way. Um, a lot of the movie is very defined in its coloring. So true directions, is broad pink spectrums and blo- broad blue spectrums. As you would expect it to be, the conversion camp is very focused on gender roles. So, so much so that it's affected in its coloring. Mm-hmm. Um, later, there is a gay club and the home of a gay couple, which is excessively dipped in rainbows. And um, the scenes before Megan is taken to the conversion camp are all very gray and brown and quote-unquote vanilla. So the other director who popped to mind, Andy, was Wes Anderson.
1: I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah, I can can see it now.
0: (laughs) Well, it makes me think of, for example, Moonrise Kingdom and the Grand Budapest Hotel Uh. where coloring... Takes such an excessive role of examining place
1: yeah and so this this leads me into um a question i had and and i i talked about it a little bit with mariah my wife i want to talk to i want to talk with it a little bit with you and just see if off the mark here or if this is an example where the movie didn't exactly age well
0: social justice one two three
1: We're Mm. we're shown True Directions, and you have the boy's wing and the girl's wing. The boy's wing is, of course, very blue, and the girl's wing is super pink. And at the camp, the boys are all directed to do, you know, stereotypically masculine things like playing football and fixing a car, and and the girls are are given a a run of home ec courses. Sure. And I'm sitting here watching it and going – Okay. So <clears throat> what happens for a femme lipstick lesbian who is already down to wear pink and is already uh, girly and and wants to be, you know, the perfect little wife to her wife to a woman, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. What what happens when you get a, a you know a, a butch gay man who loves football and auto body work, and also, you know, the feeling of a beard on his chest.
0: <laughs> I like that you kept it G rated. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> In keeping with the spirit of this movie.
0: <laughs> um, you know, that's a really interesting point. I I thought where you were going was the whole like, is it is it aging well that we slip into these gender roles so much. And I was like, well, it's a satire. So to me, that makes sense. But the concept of traditional gender roles within non-heterosexual relationships is interesting. I wouldn't have even thought about that. What did you and Mo land on?
1: Mariah was talking about how at the end of the day, there was still the final test. And, you know, all of the conversion stuff would still be affecting and you know obviously be a problem for this hypothetical individual but you know i just i I came out of it thinking that in especially thinking about it in the modern age like like somebody could have passed through true directions without ever changing who they are on the inside if it so happened that they were closer to what true directions wanted them to be and 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 you bring up a good mm. point it's a satire you know also this movie is from 1999 and it feels very nitpicky to try and say that it doesn't do enough representation wise when it's it's 20 years old and i mean it's not the first lgbtq movie but it's it's certainly it came out in a time when this was a different thing and you know, queer eye hadn't come out yet. And it, 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 this movie does enough. And, and I think it, it's done enough historically that I, I can give it that slack.
0: Right. I wrote for did this age? Well, that I think this is our first movie where this is age just fine. Right. And barring anything I missed because I'm not necessarily involved with the queer culture. There are some roles that are over the top, but the whole movie is over the top. So I don't really know that we can complain.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. Um, you know, I I literally wrote in my notes that it would be nitpicky to try and ding this movie in those ways, and and I yeah. I am an ally, but you know, I'm I'm certainly not in a position where I can speak to it myself.
0: Yeah, I do love. RuPaul? Yeah. as actual RuPaul?
1: This cast is amazing.
0: <laughs> it's so good. It's got Rufio in it, which is just the true the true true way of my heart as Rufio <laughs> is my dream man. Yeah. Um, surprise Michelle Williams. Yeah. So unexpected. Um, in fact, when I was doing my IMDB research, I said, Oh my gosh, (gasps) Michelle Williams was in this. Okay. I had to double take. Well, yeah. And Lincoln,
1: you'll miss her. Like she's in three scenes, if that. Yeah.
0: And also we have the wonderful Melanie Linsky, which if you grew up anything like me, um, any nineties and aught raised gal knows her best as Jacqueline from ever after. Which is just a ra- a film that's raised so many women I know. So seeing her in a role that's extremely different sure. was fantastic. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is a great cast. You know, we've got obviously Natasha Leone and Clea DuVall do amazing jobs as sort of our romantic leads. But like, I've seen entirely too much RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> to have taken anything rupaul as as mike the butch uh, men example instructor seriously and and that's totally the point that's that's one of the heavier moments right. of satire there but i i was just delighted to see him period
0: yeah that was, it was fantastic. From the moment he shows up in tiny little short shorts, I was here for it.
1: The shortest short shorts, period. The, the
0: tiniest little short yeah. shorts. Um,
1: I thought this was really funny. And I, and this is like the last kind of Waters connection. Uh, Megan's mom is played by Mink Stole, who we just watched get... Uh, get taken out and Cecil B deMented she was the the woman who was messing with the kid in the wheelchair and <gasps> she's like one of john waters best friends so it was really it was it was a fun treat to be like no wait way. i know that face
0: oh that's so fun yeah man our hollywood crypt does such a good job in giving us connection to connection
1: right it's it's a very a very sticky web right now with lots of threads going all connecting to each other
0: I swear that you're like secretly fixing it somehow.
1: The best part, my favorite thing, is uh, is I promise you, and I promise you, are our viewers, I am not. <laughs> another another thing out of the cast, uh, Rufio Dante Basco, he's in this, and that's absolutely great. And the other guy that I immediately recognized, and this was completely jarring for me, there's there's Andre, who is one of the. Gay boys, and one of he's he's the one who like decides he's he's just too gay, he can't do it. He is he is maybe the most effeminate character in the movie. I instantly Mm -hmm. recognized him from, and this is the only other thing I've ever seen him in the World War II miniseries Band of Brothers, (gasps) which is a total difference. Wow! So to see him—oh go... Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. To see him go from like serious, you know, real soldier to—I mean, honestly, he's—he's—he's—he's he's, he's a bit of a caricature. Um, it was—it was very. Yeah. It, it was—it it gave me a laugh for sure.
0: The last thing I need right now is some fruit who just proved he's straight, telling my ass how sexy I am. <laughs> Wow. The only other thing I could think uh, regarding the cast of how this could have aged better is that only RuPaul and Clee Duvall are, they're the only actors in this movie who are gay. Right. So perhaps more gay actors could have been employed, but at the same time, I'm not mad about this cast. So while I make that statement, I'm like, "Eh, but it has... But it has Rufio.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I think the cast does a really good job with what they're given. You know, it it becomes the argument of, is it better that they honored their characters as gay, even though they weren't? Or mm-hmm, is it, mm-hmm. no, we, we could have done better. We, there, there are plenty of gay actors. I mean, I agree if this was remade today, uh, you know, probably the entire cast would be, you know, somewhere on the LGBT sexual Q. spectrum. Yeah. Right. The only thing that I thought was weird, speaking of that, and this, this is, again, this is, this is getting very Nick's but there was, there was the character Jan, who was one of the girls. And when you first see Jan, Jan looks very butch and has facial hair growing and, you know, later is, is, is wearing a, a football Jersey and super baggy pants. And <laughs> look at This in 2019, I immediately went, Oh, excellent. Okay. Yes. We have some representation, of somebody who is transgendered or or perhaps non-binary. Wow, awesome. And I kind of thought that's where the movie was going to go. And then they do the, the the twist with Jan, where Jan reveals that she's straight. And yes, she looks the way she looks, she lacks the way she acts, but she is completely heterosexual and was just unfortunately mm miscast as not miscast but like thrown into the camp based off of her appearance and and on the one hand that's saying something different and something valid but like it's funny i don't know i don't i don't think that's necessarily not aging well it's just like 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 it that shows how different 2019 is from
0: 1999 right i i loved that moment because it said look Straight women aren't necessarily going to look the way you want them to look. They're not going to all look like Joanna Gaines. Sure, but at this, I, I agree with you. At the same time, it from today's standards, I wanted to to be a conversation about non binarism I wanted it to be a conversation about transsexuality. It just—I don't
1: think it was going to get there in 1999. No, and and it, I I, I want to give this movie just the right amount of rope, without being pandering. <gasps> right. But my initial reaction was, you know, I I agreed that for 1999, and especially like I think if you turn the lens there, it's either going to get serious. Or you're just going to be trying to do too much too quickly with just this one yeah. movie?
0: I think we should applaud this movie for being where it was for 1999. Yeah. I mean, it feels exceedingly not groundbreaking now, but I think at the time, even in the in the rewatch of it, I watched this movie originally in 2009 mm-hmm. um, when I was a freshman in college. Uh, Alex and I had or I'm sorry a sophomore in college Alex and I had just started dating uh, we watched it at Nick's house and I think for the time I was really excited to see it because it felt even then it felt strangely groundbreaking Um, but now there's just so much for that pantheon that right it feels tame
1: yeah and and you know another part of it is this is, this is, this is a comedy more than it's anything else. I think they, they managed Mm -hmm. to strike a really great tone of, of, of adding some drama to it, especially in the back half of the movie. And it's not like, it's not a perverse comedy. It's not, it's not making fun of the thing, but it is, it is a, it is a funny movie. Um, And and that goes into it as well, but you know stuff like um, when Megan is having her intervention with her friends and family, uh, I loved this. One of the things was they pulled out a Melissa Etheridge poster (laughs) for her room. It was like Exhibit C.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This just shows, yeah. And Exhibit A is her. A very um, vanilla makeout with her boyfriend right. where her eyes are wide open as he is fully just exploring her mouth with his tongue and she's just staring at the car ceiling like okay uh-huh. alright are we done? No? Okay alright right. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time this movie is so pure because even at, even at the end of the movie when Megan is giving her case for why she and Graham belong together. It's it's fate and we belong together and it's you and me. It's not, it's you and me and we'll see what happens and we'll date other people and, you know, we'll examine this thing and this culture and we'll go on Tinder and we'll swipe other people and we'll date other people. It's, no, it's you. It's me. We're meant to be.
1: Yeah, it's very it's very fairy tale, in an incredibly yeah. heartwarming way. Yeah. Natasha Leone, Lion. I've always said Leone, but it might be Natasha Let's Lion. say
0: Leone because it sounds fancy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Natasha Leone does such a fantastic job. I think in this in this movie, you know, she is. I don't know if she's really ever gotten her due as an A-list actor, but she is a remarkably talented one. And, you know, she, she is so adorable at the ending. Like I immediately texted you freaking out um, of just her, (laughs) her, her cheer at, in in the, in the ending Mm. of the movie, her, her sweet, I love you. We belong together plea to graham to to be herself and who cares what anyone thinks it's it's absolutely adorable one
0: two
1: three four i won't take no anymore she and clea deval do a lot of heavy lifting in this movie i think
0: yeah i agree with you clea deval's uh character what do you think of her from the onset
1: I felt like she was a very realistic, trapped person, the the loner, the bitter person who is so stuck that the only thing they can do is pretend they don't care. Like like Graham's situation for those of you who skip the movie is she is she she is very sure of her sexuality but she is also the daughter of a very rich man who threatens basically her inheritance Mm -hmm. based off her sexual preference aligning with what he considers normal right and the idea of well i'm i'm trapped and putting on a big tough facade that you don't care, and this is all dumb, and none of it matters, and and you're the camp badass, when really, you're the one who's the most scared. Feels very mm. realistic to me because she she caves pretty instantly um, when her relationship with her father and the threat of being cut off is put on the line. You know, it it takes. Megan giving that sweet and passionate plea to get Graham to snap out of it.
0: Well, and I agree with you of her, her projection of I'm the camp badass. When she introduced herself, she says I'm Graham and I like girls right. a lot, <laughs> which I just, I, I just felt that was a, I don't care. I'm not going to change. So it was very shocking at the end of the movie to see her arc go from I I don't care, you can't change me to well I might as well be this thing. So her arc is probably one of the most interesting for me in the movie.
1: I agree. You know, and 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 not all the characters get an arc, really. You know, there's True. there's our leads, there's there's the Graham Megan relationship, which which do you like better? Gregan or Miam? I like Miam,
0: Miam, Miam, because it sounds like something (laughs) Kelly and Nathan would say to each other. (laughs) Exactly.
1: You know, you've got you've got Miam, and you've got uh, Dante Blasco's character Dolph, and one of the other guys like like they get an arc, but just about Mm -hmm. everyone else they're 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 almost window dressing you know they're they're our ensemble and they're they're there to fill the room and and bring some lines and some jokes out but not everybody gets an actual journey in this film
0: right and i think that's par for the course for the kind of movie it is it's a crowd it's a crowd scene movie so it's kind of like the sprockets yeah, there are sprockets that we really, really care about at the end of the movie, and then there are sprockets that we're like, well, wait, who?
1: Right, exactly. I, I think this is the same. That's uh, hey, that's another comparison to something Waters has done. But you know, like I kept kind of bumping up against the idea with this movie of like, like this is a comedy. This is a fun movie. The villains, wow, villainous. You know. Kathy Moriarty plays sort of an umbrage light villain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, while they are villainous, they're never really that threatening. I kept thinking about this movie and how different it would be if it wasn't a comedy, and if it didn't have, like, the Barbie house fun aesthetic. This becomes... A very different, very dark movie very quickly if you wanted to make it that way.
0: Sure, sure. And so much so to that point where I think if you you could keep the Barbie Dream House, the set that looks like Wes Anderson's cousin threw up all over it. You could keep all of that if you changed the music. Sure. It would get so much darker because the other thing it reminds me of just visually is Stepford and the Stepford Wives, specifically the 2000 version uh, with Nicole Kidman, I think, and possibly Glenn Close, if I'm remembering correctly. That sounds right. for me. Sure. Let's say that.
1: Hey.
0: Hey. But if you change the music, it could get really creepy really fast. Sure. Um, uh, and I think that speaks to the tone that the directors decided to take is that they wanted it to be a tale about conversion therapy, but they didn't want it to be dark, yeah, and it it is dark there are moments where it's hard to swallow, specifically the end scene um every one at the conversion camp is made to wear these head to toe unitards uh with strategically placed fig leaves it's very biblical it's very reminiscent of adam and eve and they're made to simulate sex um or excuse me they're made to simulate heterosexual sex right um and that could that could be a lot darker it's already pretty dark but it could be even darker if it wanted to be
1: no absolutely
0: but because it's handled so well, it just skirts around being terrifying.
1: Right. And I think the key there, my my big takeaway, we've got the character Rock, who is Mrs. Brown's very gay son, and it, it kind of speaks to her her relative harmlessness that like he's the groundskeeper of the conversion care therapy camp. He is extremely gay and his mom just kind of like slaps his hand and tells him not to be. And then he, he goes off and he shakes his ass with a chainsaw. (laughs) (laughs) He is a A
0: strategically placed chainsaw.
1: He is a figure of comedy, but only because he's gay. If that character is straight and then you get the final test scene where uh, Rock and Clea deval have the simulated sex and he's a straight man, that becomes so It's a lot more horrifying.
0: terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. Now lean in and kiss her.
1: Nice, Rob. I think Jamie Babbitt did a really good job with this movie. Yeah. And and skirting oh, yeah. the line between up lighthearted tone but then you know making it serious in moments there's there's the the scene at
0: the cocksucker's bar that (laughs) which is two in the name of the bar it's two words right (laughs)
1: um (laughs) sorry well, well there's there's the scene where you know megan and graham really kind of confront their feelings for each other and it's it's a phenomenally done scene it's it's very serious it's very real it's very realistic it's a great performance again by cleo deval and natasha leone and and like i i just want to compliment it you know it's it's good on them Mm. for for raising the bar and reaching the acting challenge of doing that but it's also credit to jamie babbitt for you know getting that out of her actors and being able to be serious when it needed to be, but then still funny and sweet and wonderful when it can be.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um,
1: so I do want to, I, I, I want to reflect while we're talking about the tone and, you know, earlier we were kind of talking about the real life consequences of the conversion camp, something that, The film glosses over, I think, for time. But, like, I wanted to stop and really chew on for a minute. And this is an absolutely real thing and a real issue. Megan becomes homeless in this movie. Like, the scene after Megan and Graham are caught, the the morning after, you know, they had sex, Megan falls on the sword and, and takes the bullet for Graham and is... Kicked out of the camp and told her parents want nothing to do with her. Mm -hmm. And homelessness in queer youth is an actual problem. And it it is a very serious problem. It is I, I I don't know if epidemic is the appropriate word or not, just because I don't know the figures. But for context, here in Orlando at least, there is a institution called the Zebra House. And the entire point of the zebra house is to provide a safe space and a roof over the head of queer youth who have been, who have nowhere else to go. Right. And I, I would have liked to have had that be more of a conflict because it's like, mm. "Whoa, what?
0: Yeah, I think it would have it would have become a different film at that point is the only is the only tricky part, sure. I do love the scenes of Natasha Leone living in Larry yeah. and <laughs> Lloyd and Larry's house, um, specifically because I think that's the first time. I think it's important because it's the first time that Megan really gets to see a successful gay relationship. She gets to see them work through arguments. Um, she gets to see how, how, how that relationship works because the only kind of adult relationship she's had modeled for her are straight ones.
1: Right. Oh, and you know, you bring up a really good point. Like, the film kind of very softly puts out the idea that Megan's family in and of itself is somewhat dysfunctional. You know, they, Mm. they make it a point of comedy as oh well, one of the reasons Megan is gay is because her mom, like uses the remote control or or something, um, something overbearing, something unladylike. (laughs) And,
0: oh, she she takes a job when Megan's father couldn't find work. I think that's right. Yeah,
1: that's right. Um, so you know, they kind of play fun at that. But in the scenes with the parents, like Mink stole, Megan's mother is is kind of very overbearing of of her father and he's he's very kind of a a little shallower yes dear figure and 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 you know thinking about it now there's dysfunction in there and so seeing larry and lloyd be an effective couple is kind of the first mm-hmm. thing the first example of that that we're led to believe megan gets
0: right i think it's that they model equality in a way that megan inherently hasn't seen And heterosexual relationships growing up because there's always, I think, in the kinds of relationships she sees modeled for her, there's always that power struggle. Right. So the fact that Lloyd and Larry will apologize to each other and talk out their problems and say, I feel like I'm doing more of this. Well, I feel like I'm doing more of this. How can we meet a middle ground is very important for Megan because she's not had that.
1: I think so. And, you know, kind of subconsciously it's, it's a very important and very effective idea for the movie to be presenting. Don't you see how sad and pathetic you all are? Always wanting something you can't have.
0: Right. I think, That's a sidebar, never mind. Ignore me. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was was just going to say, I think this is something that heterosexual, hetero, or homosexual, I think in in parenting, one of the things that parents represent to their children is these are the kinds of relationships and conversations you bring into the world. Mm -hmm. And this is how you treat a partner. And... I, one of the things I love about Lloyd and Larry is that they will apologize to each other and that they're, while they get upset with each other in at one point in the movie and they get gruff with each other, they then are willing to walk through the argument and apologize. So seeing that, I think, is important. Sure.
1: They're they Does that make sense? No, I think it makes complete sense it's it's funny there's almost a if you associate toxic masculinity with dysfunction there's almost a trend of well toxic dysfunction and Mm. it's not that it's not that lloyd and larry being the gay couple avoided that because they're a gay couple they avoided that because they communicated with each other and you know, are able to put their relationship above their inner conflict or or pride or or what have you,
0: which I think is important because they're acting as in loco parentis for all of these children who don't have anywhere else to go. Right, and I love that aspect.
1: No, I think, I think it's, hmm. a, it's it's it. You know, that is kind of a very important aspect of the movie. That's really not drawn on it all it, it more serves the plot more than anything else that megan is adopted into the house and yes sees there is definitely a better way there is a better answer mm-hmm. for our queer youth than sending them to conversion camp but you know it's also it keeps her close to win Graham back at the end and you know, so it, it 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 solves the earlier issue of her sudden and immediate homelessness. Right. But no, they're great. I I love I love the idea of a gay couple sneaking out kids to go to the gay bar because yeah. f- screw you and your conversion care therapy camp, you insane old hag and just doing it out of spite, like giving these kids right. an out.
0: And in in a similar John Waters comparison, it seems very anarchist or they're yeah. presented as very anarchist that they're they organize all of the kids at their house to protest and right. they pick the kids up from True Direction and they say we want you to see another option for you. It's not an easy option, but we want you to see it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I, I like a lot of what this movie does. It's it, it's I liked this movie. It is a a very sweet movie. I think depending on when you see it and the state you're in internally when you see it, it, it could be a very important movie.
0: Do you have any stray observations before we hit our final segments?
1: It's funny. We uh we kind of said, This isn't very this isn't a very waters film, why are you comparing it to that? And then several times we have said, Well, this was kind of watersy, no, this was kind of watersy. The the scene where <laughs> Megan comes to grips with the fact that she's gay and mm-hmm. is left a laughing, drooling, kind of catatonic mess. And the whole, like, swirling of the camera and kaleidoscope effect and everything. Like, that was... Oh, it's
0: totally water. That was the
1: most Waters part of the movie for me. <laughs> so... Right, yeah. where they
0: zoom into her eyeballs and then zoom back out. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he does seem to have his fingerprints all over this. As far as I can tell, he did not actually have anything to do with this movie. <laughs> um, but I think it's amusing that if, I mean, if nothing else, I, I guess Jamie Babbitt was paying several different directorial homages to him.
0: Right. But I think we could make the argument just as easily that Jamie Babbitt is a big Wes Anderson fa- yes. fan right? or has seen his movies at the very least, because I don't know, maybe she is her own person and just also likes color as well. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. I So my only stray observations were uh, the scene where the teens are searching for their quote-unquote gay root felt, mm. um, pardon the phrase, a little witch-hunty. Because it felt very much like, let me find the thing upon which I can blame my homosexuality. Sure. It, it, a lot of them felt like it was making something where there was nothing. It made them feel like they were searching and forcing for them to find anything that deviates from their pre-prescribed notion of heterosexuality. And basically making them search for parts of themselves that felt less than normal when all of them are, all of their experience is completely valid. So I don't think I had anything other than that. Well, that, I,
1: I want to say, I think that's the point because that is one right. of the things they're meant to do at camp. And that is one of the ways that, you know, Mary Brown is still a villainous figure and she definitely does some, some some evil shit and and that's one of it and and i think it's you've you've keened on something that is again probably very based in real life and upon closer examination becomes really screwed up because yeah why are you going to it's 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 um it's archaic to say that there's any one thing in your life that would make you gay, period. But then to force all this self-examination and self, like, mental panic is not okay, to say the very least. I think it might be a great idea for Megan
0: to be reminded of your voodoo, Graham. My mother got married in pants. Yeah, it it felt to me similar how a lot of other therapies can feel where you are certain. I am in no means degrading therapy. Therapy is great. I have been to therapy. It's fantastic. It does great things for humans. Um, but I think it kind of felt like how some therapies can make you land on the wrong thing.
1: Okay. So, Stephanie, would you say this is cult?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: I agree. No, no easy, easy contest, no question.
0: Yeah. I think between, between the subject matter, between the fact that this is foundational for so many people— um, I know a lot of gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender people for whom this was their first experience seeing themselves echoed in film, Sure, um, which representation is important. If you love this movie, this is a movie you kind of tend to come back to again and again. It's got a very sturdy following is what I'm trying to say.
1: Absolutely. And I, I would be very interested to hear from any listeners who have an opinion because I I was kind of putting out the notion that this was foundational and while not totally groundbreaking was at least somewhat groundbreaking and and was sort of one of the first uh, movies through the floodgates. And I say that because it feels that way to me. If there is an abundance of queer cinema from the, 70s 80s 90s it's not necessarily coming to mind so i i would be we haven't really ever done this but i i would be interested to hear from anyone who can speak to that or have an opinion on whether we're totally off the mark on but i'm a cheerleader's place in the lgbt film canon and if we're maybe putting too much importance on it, or I mean, I could, I think you could make the argument that we're still in 2019, not as far along as we should be. So maybe we're not underselling the importance of it.
0: Let us know. (laughs) Sure. And also let us know if we are wrong, that this wasn't, that this is not the first movie that you saw. Please let us know what movie was the first movie that you saw that you really felt showed your experience it's as true. an lbgt teen and we'd love to maybe watch that one too and say oh wow this is a movie we've maybe never heard of and it's probably a cult."
1: yeah absolutely it, it <laughs> might be on the list <laughs> um so this this was a comedy and i think this is easier for comedies but did you have a favorite quote
0: oh my gosh yes um i hold on <clears throat> i'm gonna sound like a man real quick Larry Bear is sorry too.
1: <laughs> Thank you for warning me. I, I would have been confused as to what stranger in the room had had <laughs> taken the microphone.
0: Yes, my high soprano voice doesn't sound <laughs> doesn't sound manly very often. But yeah, the I I'm sure that our listeners are not at all surprised by my previous extolling of it, but I loved the scene where Larry and Lloyd got into a bit of an altercation and had to uh, traverse that and had to understand like how to navigate that. But I love that they so quickly delved into apologizing and saying, this is where I'm coming from. But then also a really baritone to base level man saying Larry bear is sorry. Yeah. It's just the sweetest thing. So. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: Mine was there's a line where Mary's in session with some of the uh, counselors and I think it's Andre says that, I don't remember what he says but but her response to him is we don't use profanity or double negatives here <laughs> and that's just such a lawful good umbrage like like I'm I'm making a jack off motion <laughs> kind of line it got a it got a laugh out of me for sure
0: fantastic who uh who would you award your oscar to andy
1: so funny that i i love that you love larry and lloyd i think they're great character actors and there was just something about larry that i couldn't quite place until i i looked at his imdb to figure out where i know this guy and my Oscar for But I'm a Cheerleader is it has the best surprise cameo because Larry, who is played by Richard Maul, is the voice of Two Face from Batman the Animated Series.
0: The law! Here's the
1: only law. The law of averages, the great equalizer. <gasps>
0: Oh, that's our Batman. That's our
1: Batman. That is the That's the Batman, Batman
0: we all grew up with. Yes. <laughs> uh
1: yeah, so it turns out Richard Maul is like a pretty well known voice actor. Like if if Alex did not know that and picked up on it, I'm sure he's gonna get a kick out of it now. But he is the voice of Harvey Dent and Two Face from the Batman animated series cartoon. And I love that. That is such a
0: Oh my
1: God. It is such a out of nowhere connection and it gives me great joy
0: oh that's delightful <laughs> oh that's wonderful thank you so much for that yeah. he was also the bailiff on the nbc sitcom night court
1: oh interesting okay there you go
0: Um, I only say that because I'm a big 30 Rock fan and there is a 30 Ah. Rock scene where they reenact Night Court. Anyway, you can completely cut that. It is not at all relevant.
1: No, I'm not. Like, you have to own your 30 Rock fandom. I love
0: 30 Rock so much. Also,
1: you're not alone. I love it too.
0: I love it so much that last year... Last time Leap Year was a thing, a friend of mine and I were like, well, we have to do something different for Leap Year. And I verily, very nearly got an impromptu tattoo. Mm. I did not because I have a terrifying fear of needles. Meh. <laughs> Meh. My Oscar for this movie is that But I'm a Cheerleader features the cleanest ever club. Yeah. Gay Club, Straight Club, I don't care. It is the cleanest club I've ever seen represented in cinema.
1: <laughs> yeah, with the amount of like tidying up that is to be done and scrubbing, it it better be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just it's pristine. There is no I I don't know, there's no ashtrays sitting out, there's no broken beer bottles on the dance floor. It is a very clean club.
1: So I I didn't know this until literally right before we sat down to record. I was was kind of combing through, but I'm a cheerleader's Wikipedia article. Would you like to hear something fascinating in regards to The Clean Club?
0: Of course I
1: do. Um, This is not confirmed by Jamie Babbitt or anyone else, but a lot of people took The Clean Club and the idea that Uh, Mary Brown had such an OCD compulsion to keep everything clean was a metaphor, or not a metaphor, but was pointing to the AIDS crisis. Oh. And she wanted everything so clean so that no one would catch the bug. Oh. And (laughs) I feel bad now for breaking your heart.
0: (laughs) No, I just... That's a very real section of LGBT history that's really hard. It's really hard to talk about and it's really hard to portray accurately in cinema. So the fact that it was so painstakingly portrayed is fantastic. Sure. Because, sure, yeah, the 90s was... We were just getting out of the AIDS crisis. Gosh. Wow.
1: Yeah. So one last example, like, like this movie is so sweet and lip gloss, sticky and saccharine, but behind that it's dark.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've got chills now. Yeah. I I,
1: (laughs) I feel bad for, for inflicting that on you the moment, but I think I know what will pick our spirits back up and that is A Little Game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon.
0: Cue the saxophone. Andy, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'll
1: go ahead and go first. Um, I decided to go through Natasha Leone and tried to think of anything through American Pie and couldn't really get anywhere. And then I remembered she was in Blade Trinity, which is the worst of the Blade movies, Um, with Ryan Reynolds being Deadpool well before he was ever Deadpool. And Ryan Reynolds was in RIPD with Kevin Bacon. So two.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. How about you? Well... So I've got Alex.
1: Yeah, you've got... You, I've got hard mode because I don't have an Alex. I am my own Alex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I have cheat mode where I have a live-in walking encyclopedia. Hi, honey. Um, and he, purpo- he purposefully came up with this one. At the end of watching this movie, he just turned to me and he said... Well, Mary, who's Kathy Moriarty, is in <laughs> Digging to China with Kevin Bacon. And I was just like, well, thank you. I love you.
1: <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, like, so did he just kind of tilt his head to the side and, and point his eyes upwards and then spout that out like a computer? And yes, yes, it sounds like he
0: did. Yes, yeah, so and the, and then a piece of paper came out of his mouth <laughs> because he's actually a computer. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh. well i have not been keeping track but i th- think this puts <laughs> you back ahead i hope somebody is i'd be honored if somebody was but
0: oh we'll if see. you're keeping track please let us know on our twitter yeah there you go at cult fiction cast <laughs> um i would like to say that i can't even if i am ahead i can't take credit for it um alex should take credit for it
1: well i'll i'll take on the both yeah that that is my my burden to bear my so basically it's me versus both my podcast partners
0: yeah Uh, (laughs) shout out to lhr all right
1: right. i'll take it um so this movie was delightful it was lovely it was let's see if the next one will be
0: god i hope it's not (laughs) anaconda so i'm gonna just start saying that at the end of every one and then the one day we actually get anaconda
1: oh it's gonna be so great when you jinx <laughs> yourself um <laughs> you still have a 316th of a shot sweet good which odds is to say you have three hundred and fifteen. the chances that it's not anaconda the odds are in your favor Um, But let's see what Hollywood's Crypt has in store for us. Do-do-do-do-do-do! And it is... number 28. And number 28 on our randomized list is a 2009 film by Gaspar Noh called Enter the Void.
0: Do you know anything about this movie? Because I know nothing. So...
1: In high school I had an affinity for going on the internet and like looking up lists of eclectic movies and 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 weird movies and this um this movie is on a couple of those lists. This is a fascinating movie in that it is about death. It is shot entirely in first person. And the plot of the movie is based around sort of the soul leaving the body and what it sees. Sure. Okay. Um, this is called "On Enter the Void."s Wikipedia, a psychedelic melodrama, and I'm I'm very excited. This is this is going to be a weird one.
0: <laughs> I'm here for weird.
1: But I, I I have high hopes that it's going to be a very interesting one. That was my one interesting of the podcast, I think. Bravo!
0: <laughs> well, that's all for this episode of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at CultFictionCast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we have an out-of-body experience with 2009's Enter the Void. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell.